0: Feel like driving to Saskatchewan all of a sudden. This is Toronto today. Mike Hogan with you. Welcome to Toronto today. Uh, Hogan in four wheeler for the next couple of hours, and a busy, 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 busy program on the way. Uh, we'll get some baseball talk in a couple of different times, as uh, obviously that's uh, what we're going to be dealing with over the next couple of weeks, as the as the Jays get closer and closer to uh, letting us know what they're going to be doing. Um, Buyers, sellers, whatever the case may be. Um, We will uh, be joined by Jay Jaffe from SI.com and also the author of the Cooperstown Casebook, which goes on sale soon. Uh, He will drop by at about 11.15. Uh, We will also have Izzy Fair join us. Uh, He is in Boston uh, covering the Jays and Red Sox for uh, the athletic T.O., so we'll talk some more Jays. How many of you uh, made it all the way through 15 last night? Anybody? Anybody? Everybody here today. I made it. Okay, Kristoff didn't. He's shaking his head. Tim Haffy didn't. He's, but he had to be up at like 2 o'clock this morning. But on the other side of the glass, Skriznasty, Michael Skrizniak, our technical poobah, made it all the way through 15. Nicely done, sir. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Well, but it was it was, an inter- it was an interesting ball game. Right? To say the least. Well, yeah. no, it was Joe Narsa joining us as well. They, they didn't win, but it was at least an interesting game. How tired are you of committing to watch? Sitting down, you're all ready to go and watch the ball game, and final score sixteen to one. There have been too many of those over the last month. So to get an extra inning game against a rival at Fenway Park, where Fenway came into play. Um, the ebb and flow of the game. I thought it was just a damn entertaining ball game last night. Yeah, okay, It would lost. have been nice if they had the 7 o'clock start instead of the 8 o'clock start. Yeah. each their own. Yeah, what, ta- what did they... I-, I can't even re- remember. I should look at my tweet uh, last night. Was it about 1 o'clock, quarter after 1, somewhere about in there? About 1, one twenty. Yeah, ended. it was uh, It was early. So, and Narsa, did you like the game? I did. It, it kind of sucked that they
1: wasted Bullsinger's two or three innings because he looked fantastic, like... He, when he came into relief, it, the guy, the movement was unbelievable. And he looked like he had the Red Sox beat, and the Jays kept coming up and looked like they had a shot. And then, I don't
0: know, you know what else was kind well, of they frustrating? they They have a shot. I mean, they have 15 innings to get one more run. Well,
1: yeah, like you saw when uh, Tulo hit that double off the wall, and there was like that oh, Benintendi. It was a single, not a double.
0: Well, yeah, well, you thought, I thought nice it was a double. What a nice play by the kid, though, right?
1: Right? Like, but how does the vet not.
2: What's Rusty get that? doing
0: there on first base, though? Shouldn't he be like, hey, Tulo? Yeah, hundred percent. And that's you know, is that and that, that was my question, whether or not Tulo was getting any help from the first base coach. And that's a difficult ballpark to play. Um, the fact that the kid played the wall as well as he did—one of my favorite pieces of television of all time. I don't know when it stopped, but there was a show called This Week in Baseball. It was it was just it was must see at a certain era. Certainly before we got you know inundated with baseball on social media. And one of the things that they did, Ozzie Smith ended up hosting it. And they took one of the best defensive players in baseball history. Just, you know, the Wizard of Oz, the Great Glove. And he had never been to Fenway Park before. Pre-interleague play. And they took this defensive wizard and they started hitting baseballs off the green monster. And had him try to play Balls off the green monster. It was hysterical. He had no clue. There are dead spots there. There's a ladder. I mean, all of this stuff back, uh, back when, when they had Smith. And he was just killing himself laughing. Because he had no idea how to play that. And the fact that you get a kid like Benintendi, who, who this is obviously his first year playing the monster, was able to realize what was going to happen and decoyed a vet like that, that was, from, from you know just a baseball perspective, if you're a Red Sox fan specifically, that was just first rate. That said, a veteran's got to know better. A veteran's got, at that ballpark, the veteran's got to be checking out his coach for help. You know, you're digging in, and you're hauling rear end, thinking you're going to have a double. And for him to get suckered in like that, nice play by the kid. you got to tip the cap at some point. Uh, but... You know, the. I guess if you're going to uh, give one up, Bolsinger pitched really well last night. But the one hit he gave up still may not have come down. I mean, Ramirez didn't miss that one. Game over. Um, but they had their opportunities, certainly. Um, Hap was pretty good last night. Not spectacular, but he gave them a decent start um if, could they have gotten to Johnson you would think on paper yeah you wanna there's there's a guy that's there for the taking now the problem is in the second half and I guess well into the second half now um when you are this far behind and trailing the second wild card team by as many games as you or by as many teams as you are you you can't Giveaway series, and let's face it, they're 1-1 right now in a four-game set. Scheduled for Thursday night is Chris Sale. I don't like your chances. So now you have to win tonight to essentially get a split, unless you pull off the upset on Thursday. Splitting series at this stage isn't good enough. It's just not. Now, a split on the road at Fenway certainly means more than splitting a home series should there be a four-game set down the road with a, a lesser light. A team not as good as the Boston Red Sox. I get that. But still, you're going to start running out of games pretty quickly just because as you are losing, you know probably three or four teams ahead of you are going to win. Now three or four teams ahead of you are probably going to lose as well. There's just that many teams in the race. But you're only keeping, you know keeping pace with the guys that are losing. And at some point, you've got to go on a streak. You've, you've, you've got to find a way to do it. And when you look at the schedule, or sorry, the uh, standings today, you'll see that it's changed a little bit. And not for the better, if you are a Jays fan, with still that whatever blind optimism you may have. Last night, Detroit passed them in the standings. Last night, Baltimore Move the game up. So now, to get into the playoffs, and let's just, for argument's sake, because Tampa is the first wildcard team let's, right now, let's just, for discussion, assume that they're going to finish in that spot. Now, it could be another team, but we'll say Tampa. So the Jays have to pass the Yankees, the Twins, the Mariners, the Royals, Texas, the Angels, Baltimore, and Detroit. Kind of puts it in perspective when you read it out loud. It's not like, oh yeah, they've just got to they've got to catch the Yankees and they've got to catch uh, Seattle. It's a long laundry list of teams that they've got to get by if they're going to get into the postseason, and that's problematic because not every team is going to lose every game every night. You're starting to run out of series. And the Detroit Tigers just started selling yeah. yesterday, yeah, so and we knew that was going to happen. Um, we just didn't know who or where. So um, I don't know if you were surprised by that. And, oh yeah, the Yankees have addressed a problem. They got their toe into the water. Maybe stealing a third baseman that Boston thought they were going to get or a first baseman or they want to play Fraser. There are options. It, they're loading up. You would assume, I would guess Texas would add I think Texas has been a really underachieving baseball team so far this year. I think that's a fair assessment. Three games under 500. I don't know if anybody had them there. I thought people looked at the the two teams in Texas and went, oh, they're pretty good ball clubs at the beginning of the season. And Texas is underachieved. I haven't heard much in the way of the Rangers adding. When you look at rumors, um, the Rangers are not at the top of very many lists of teams that are adding. Are we going to break? Okay. I've just been told we're going to break. Okay. Usually we don't break here. We're going to break here. Did I give the rest of the lineup, by the way? Mark Zucchino is going to join us at 11.30. As mentioned, if you're just tuning in, Jay Jaffe from Sports Illustrated, Izzy Fair on baseball. Uh, Mark Zucchino at 11.30 from Golf Talk Canada will tee up the British Open, the Open Championship. Uh, And also, Paul Massadi is going to join us. They are uh, honoring the 1997 team on Monday night, the Argo team, and one of the great uh, receivers, local guy done good. Uh, We'll talk to Masati a little bit later on. And do we have 11.45 confirmed, Joe? Yes, we do. Kerry Kaplan, uh, the president and general manager of the Brampton Beast. There's a partial for sale sign on uh, the ECHL team. We'll talk to uh, Kerry about what that is all about uh, when we return. You are listening to Toronto Today. I'm Hogan in for Wheeler. This is... Is TSN 1050.
1: This is Toronto Today. On TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto Sports.
0: 15 This is Toronto today. Mike Hogan and for Gareth Wheeler until one o'clock today. Then Scotty Mack is in the baseball hour between three and four. Uh, lots of baseball talk on this program as well as we have Israel Fair joining us at uh, high noon to talk about the uh, Blue Jays and that uh, interesting game at Fenway last night. And up next, this is this is perfect because yesterday we had Clark Judge on the program uh, who has uh, you know their website, their podcast, the Talk of Fame Network, talking about who should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, our next guest from Sports Illustrated not only wrote an article about um, his predictions for trades, etc., which we will get to, uh, but is also uh, the author of a book that uh, is just about to be released called The Cooperstown Cookbook. Or casebook. <laughs> Cookbook would be interesting. The Cooperstown Casebook. Who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Who should be in? Who should pack their plaques? Uh, the author of the book from Sports Illustrated, Jay Jaffe, is aboard. Although, maybe we've got another book for you. The Cooperstown Cookbook could work as well.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm going to need ideas for a sequel if this one does well. So um, uh, let me see what I can come up with there. But uh, We can get
0: um, C. Sabathia and, and, uh, right off the top and uh, Bartolo Colon, and that could be <laughs> Chapter 1.
2: Good idea. Good okay. Idea.
0: Sorry about that. I, I do want to talk about. I'm. I'm always curious. And you've. Uh, you've had the jaws thing going for quite some time now, without being the ultimate spoiler and spoiler alert. Give. Give us an example of somebody who should be in and should be out
1: well uh, just to
2: just to look at, at, at current candidates, I mean you know the guys like Mike Messina, Kurt uh, Schilling, despite uh, the work that his mouth is doing to talk and talk his way out of it yeah. uh, Larry Walker uh, to uh, to name a Canadian in there, uh, and Edgar Martinez are guys that I believe that uh, uh, are really strong candidates and, and, and merit inclusion um, you know going back further, uh, Dick Allen and, and Minnie Minoso and Bobby Gritch, uh, Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker are guys that uh, um, I think have been uh, grossly mistreated by the various voting bodies. Um, as for guys who should be out, um, you know, there's a few 19th century guys. Uh, Tommy McCarthy is one who comes to mind, just a short career guy whose stats are terrible uh, By you know, when, when you adjust for uh, the co- level of competition sure. in the era. Um, he's in there more as an innovator, a guy who perfected the hit-and-run in and the outfield trap uh, back in the 1880s, um and really should have been recognized kind of along the lines of Candy Cummings, you know, the, uh, reputed invent- inventor of the curveball, uh, as a pioneer rather than a sure. player. But the big focus for me, or one of the big focuses for me, is this whole cadre, uh, of players from the 1920s and 30s who were led in by the Veterans Committee, uh, in the late 60s and early 70s when Frankie Frisch, uh, and later Bill Terry, uh, were on the committee. This is from about, about 1967 to 76 former teammates on the Giants and Cardinals like uh, Jim Bottomley, yeah. uh, George High Pockets Kelly, uh, Travis Jackson, um, Chick Hafey, guys who had short careers or, um, you know, really had very superficially impressive stats that don't, uh, adjust well when you consider the scoring levels and the ballparks they were playing in. Um, you know, and the, the whiff of cronyism, I think, really spoils their uh, their presence in the hall.
0: It's funny because whenever I go to Cooperstown, uh, I know there are a lot of people who kind of walk through the plaques and look for their favorite players. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I completely understand that. I'm the guy that rereads the plaques every time I go. <laughs> and you know, I, some of those names you mentioned are guys that actually stand out in my brain because there's always been that curiosity. Why the sure. hell are they in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, no,
2: and actually, that's, that's one thing I really tried to do in the book. I mean, look, it's one thing for me to sit here and, t- and tell you this guy's terrible, but I, what I really tried to do with the book, in addition to making the case for some of those guys I think should be in, is to evaluate the 200-odd... 200 plus major leaguers who are already in the Hall of Fame and try to explain and appreciate why they're in. You know, I mean, even like, say, Chick Hafey, for example, a guy who, you know, was a pretty good hitter, just had a short career, a lot of injuries, um, was the first guy to to, uh, uh, use corrective lenses as a hitter and is actually the first depicted on his plaque wearing glasses. Um, You know, there's, there's interesting facets to all these guys. They exist on a spectrum from pretty darn good to great. Uh, for just not long enough, and I'm trying to appreciate that rather than you know throwing rotten eggs at them and saying you know this guy was terrible, he was not. Um, you know that was a, and that was a real challenge of the book, and one I I, I really feel like I lived up to is is uh, you know is that uh, uh, I want to gain an appreciation for these guys even if I'm saying yeah. They're
0: not a great choice. I I can't wait to read it, for one thing. And I'm 54, so a couple of those names from my uh, childhood really struck a chord. I still can't remember anybody hitting a ball harder than Dick Allen. Oh man! Um, and I mean, I, that he's you know, a-
2: I've only seen footage. I, I'm t- I'm, a, I'm I'm 47, so I'm okay. too young to have seen uh, his career. Really, He was off the radar uh, by the time I started following. But you know, I mean, just the stats just jump off the page. And I know that you know he had a reputation as being a, a really tough cookie. Yeah. But when you look at the way he was handled, particularly, I mean, they sent him to Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, you know, just a few years after uh you know the 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 uh, the national guard had to desegregate the schools there um and uh will threw throughout the first pitch at his first game there um you know he had no protection from the the racists there uh and all you know the, was mistreated grossly there was mistreated grossly in philadelphia by the by you know by by racist uh uh fans as well and and in, in media too and You know, that spoiled him in a lot of ways. I mean, that really, that really had an impact. I mean, you know, he took up drinking, uh, alcohol played a major role in some of the difficulties that he had with his various teams. Also had some injuries. Um, but, you know, you can't understand his career and the problems that he caused without appreciating how mishandled he was early on.
0: Oh, absolutely. And uh, just for our Canadian content, uh, Larry Walker is a guy who is criticized and hurt because of the ballpark he played in later yep. in his career. Nobody takes note of the fact that he played at the Olympic Stadium where fly balls went to die. Um, t- what is the biggest case in your argument for Walker being in?
2: Well, he—I mean, this this is a guy who is a fantastic all-around player. Uh, base running and uh, defense are huge parts of his value, and yeah. those things generally go under un, underappreciated. Even when you've got, even when you're hitting three seventy like he was in Colorado, um, you know, and that's the 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 beauty of using Wins Above Replacement. You know, which you know, you could take issue with the various estimates that it, that it uses, but it does try to appreciate a player's full value uh, all around the diamond instead of just paying lip service to it. Um, and you can see that that, that Walker was a, a, a very multi-dimensional player, and and you know, guys like Tony Larusa. Uh, had a huge appreciation for you know for the for the you know, where he finished his career. Lewis had a huge appreciation for his all-around skills. and There were a lot of people in the game who did as well. The big knock on him is that his career was short. Um, missed missed a fair bit of time with injuries. Retired uh, uh, in his late 30s rather than pushing you know to 40. Uh, and uh, you know, I think that's that's been a real
0: obstacle for him. Uh, the book is the Cooperstown Casebook: Who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Who Should Be In, and Who Should Pack Their Plaques. Jay Jaffe from Sports Illustrated joining us. Um, Would you get more feedback on this kind of thing, where you're where you're talking about Hall of Fame or making predictions, uh, either before the season or at the trade deadline?
2: Well, you know, the, I mean, they, I, I get feedback on both. Yeah, Fortunately, yeah. um, you know, and, 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 and the, the the bold predictions are something that you know, admittedly, is is kind of a pot stirrer. I mean, these are these are predictions that I make no warranty will be right. Uh, we've already been proven wrong. Uh, on, a, on, on at least one, I said the Yankees would trade for Yonder Alonzo. Um, you know, yesterday's big deal uh, for Todd Frazier yeah. probably precludes that, for example. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, we'll see. I mean, um, you know, these are fun to do. It's, uh, they're, you know, they're oddly specific. I'm, I'm, in a lot of cases, I'm naming trade targets yep. and destinations as, as being keys to, to playoff things. And once in a while, I get one right. Like, I, I nailed the Drew Pomerantz deal uh, from the Padres to the Red Sox, uh, uh, you know, like the day after one went up, uh, uh, was it last year? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and you know, and then I went about zero for nine with the rest of them in the American League. <laughs> yeah, but so,
0: don't you know, talk about that
2: fun. one. It's, it's fun to talk about it. It's fun to imagine these scenarios. But you know, it's it's also. Um, uh, an acknowledgement that that predictions are look. If I was if I was better at predictions, I would probably be in Las Vegas rather than uh, uh, Brooklyn.
0: Well, who has more pressure right now? Is it the Astros? And you you addressed both of the, both of these uh, in, in the article. Is there more pressure for the Astros to get some insurance for Keuchel and McCullers, or is it uh, maybe on the Dodgers to add because they are just so good right now?
2: You know, I think it's probably more for the Astros. I mean, the, you know, the Keuchel having Gone on the DL twice. Lance McCullers having gone on the DL once. Um, The fall off. Uh, to Mike Fires and, and Charlie Morton, beyond those guys, and the fact that you know anything they get from Colin McHugh, who's on his way back here um, from, uh, I believe it's an elbow problem. You know, it, you never know what's going to happen. The, 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 those returns can go sideways pretty quickly. Um, so they need they need somebody who can win a, who can win a must win game in the playoffs. You know that they can give the ball to, uh, which is why I suggested Sonny Gray would be an option. Uh, he's not the only one though. I think that uh, uh, they're going to be aggressive and. I know they tried to get uh, Jose Quintana. Um, there's probably a few other guys out there that, uh, uh, that they could go to. I don't see them just settling for, you know, Trevor Cahill or somebody like that. Uh, uh, you know, a, a decent five-inning back of the rotation guy. I think they need more than that. I think they'll look uh, also at the bullpen and, and now maybe uh, um, you know a patch for Carlos Correa's uh, absence as well. Uh,
0: the obligatory question coming from somebody sitting in Toronto, Ontario, Canada at this stage is: What do the Blue Jays do?
2: You know, I guess it depends. I mean, I I don't get the sense they're going to really tear things down, but I do think that you know you trade Marco Estrada, who's not having a great season, but it's a pending free agent. You get something for him because you're probably you know if you want him badly enough, you can re-sign him again uh, in the winter. Um, I don't you know I think they're probably a little bit uh, less bullish on trading J hap because they've got cost certainty there. Um, They don't seem to have a whole lot in the bullpen that anybody's going to want besides Osuna, and and they're not dealing him. I guess the real question is, um, you know, if they were blown away with an offer for for Josh Donaldson, would they do it? Um, You know, and and, uh, uh, that's the $64 million question right now. I mean, this is a a franchise centerpiece, a middle-of-the-order guy who helps you on on defense as well. Um, You know, they have an aging lineup. I don't. Know that they have the appetite to sign donaldson long term i you know, but i 'm not privy to those discussions, so i don 't know what they what they feel like they they can do, but you look at that lineup it 's the oldest in the american league um, it 's not getting any better uh, even the young guys that they, you know they, uh, you know that they hope would come through you know missing Travis due to injury and things like that i mean they 've been waiting for him for years uh, to inject some youth into that lineup, and he just you know he just can 't stay on the field. So I think they need to look at retooling that lineup. And I get the sense they're probably going to make some moves. Uh,
0: the name of the book is The Cooperstown Casebook. Who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame? Who should be in and who should pack their plaques? You can also check out uh, Jay on Twitter to find out all of his columns, including his bold predictions for the trade deadline at Jay underscore Jaffe. A pleasure, sir. And I hope you'll be cheering when Tim Raines gets in as his old Expo oh, you know fan. I am. I've got to check. Yeah.
2: He's the one player... Uh, in this book, who I made a case for at length, and then when he got in, I was like, I'm keeping that chapter. I'm taking a victory lap. I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've been pushing for this for more than 10 years, so we're going to uh, explain how he got in and how uh, stat heads like me helped that happen.
0: Best of luck with the book. I, I can't Thank wait you. to read it. Thanks, Jay. Excellent. Thank you. Jay Jaffe joining us from Sports Illustrated, and uh, again, you can find her on Amazon. It goes on sale on, what's, what's the date today? Today's the twenty. what is it? Are we the 20th yet? 19th. It's the 25th. So it goes on sale next week. You can pick it up on Amazon or uh, in bookstores all around, if you can find one, bookstores all around the world. Uh, So thanks to Jay Jaffe. Uh, uh, Coming up next, Mark Zucchino will drop by. We are uh, getting ready for the Open Championship. Uh, Mark is certainly all over that, and we will get his thoughts on uh, who may be the favorite in his eyes as we get ready for the next uh, major of the season. 11.30, Eleven thirty. It's Toronto today. Hogan in for Wheeler on TSN ten fifty. I thoroughly enjoyed that discussion with Jay Jaffe. That was uh, that was fantastic, and uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm not just saying that because he was on. That's a book I cannot wait to get my uh, my t- sink my teeth into. That that will be fantastic reading uh, if you are indeed somebody who appreciates halls of fame, uh, no matter what the sport may be. But uh, the baseball one is usually the best one for discussion. Uh, So that's coming out uh, next week. Uh, Coming up on the program a little bit later on, we'll get some more baseball talk in. Israel Fair joins us from Boston. He is in uh, Beantown for the Red Sox and the uh, Blue Jays. He's with uh, the Athletic TO, of course. Uh, Paul Massadi, the Argonaut legend, the receiver unparalleled, just a, a fantastic uh, uh, chemistry he developed with Doug Flutie as well. They're honoring the 96-97 teams uh, next Monday, the Argos' next home game against Ottawa. And uh, Paul, a big part of those uh, great Cup wins, uh, so we will talk to him at 12.30. And uh, right now, we talk to Mark Zucchino, the host of Golf Talk Canada on TSN Radio and one of the play-by-play voices of PGA Radio. Mr. Zucchino, what's up? Ogie, okay, how are you, man? I am I'm really good uh, because I'm looking forward to, I don't know if it's my favorite, uh, tournament on the golf stop. It's certainly one of the top two or three.
1: Yeah. And I, it's so unique. Uh, I think yeah. is part of it, right? Yeah. Uh, you get to watch golf uh, for breakfast. It's kind of like breakfast at Wimbledon, you know, golf version of that. And, um, it, the courses are so different. The game's so different in the links game with the elements of playing the game on the ground and, I don't know about you, but it feels like a long time since the U.S. Open. And, and yeah, even though yeah. Aaron Hills was a good golf course and whatnot, the U.S. Open at 16 under par without any rough yeah. just didn't feel like a U.S. Open. So I think everybody's ready for this.
0: But, well, I, I know this is going back, but I, I, that confused me because there are, there are certain tournaments that have a personality. Three of the four majors do. Uh, masters obviously for the history of the tradition uh the british open which we'll talk about because of the weather and the style of play and the bump and run and uh the 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 pot bunkers and all of that great stuff but the u.s open is diabolical the green should be really really fast and the rough the fairway should be narrow and the rough should be diabolical in the first cut and we didn't get that
1: yeah and it's the second one in a few years that we haven't had like that and it's I agree with you. Like each major, the, the reason the PGA championship uh, is the weak sister, so to speak, out of the four is it, it doesn't have or it struggles to have an identity, yes. a true identity, where the other three do, like you've mentioned. And Mike Davis uh, has made some injury, along with the rest of the USGA, has made some very bizarre decisions that I'm sure are money-generated and money-related and and, and also in the same breath a desire to bring the U.S. Open to different parts of America. So I'm okay with that. I understand the need for that, but okay with that. I thought, um, you know, I thought Aaron Hills could have been the right test, but they erred so safe at Aaron Hills, Hoagie. They were so concerned that they were going to get what they got a couple of years ago at Chambers Bay that they just played it so safe and safe to the point where, well, we got what we got, and it certainly did not feel like a U.S. Open, uh, but it, we're not going to get that this week. Uh, weather forecast for tomorrow, the rains are blowing in, the temperature is going to drop. So we're going to have a bunch of different weather and a bunch of different conditions over the next four days. There's going to be times in the day where you can score, times in the day where you're just holding on for dear life, and that sounds like an open championship.
0: And you know what? As a viewer, good. As somebody who's going to be sitting on the, you know, on his comfortable couch in in uh, climate control conditions, that's good. That makes better television.
1: It certainly does. And I think what you hope for. And again, some years this won't happen. But overall, you hope it does. Is that everybody gets a bad piece of it? You know. Sure. Uh, what you hope is that somebody just doesn't get the lucky side of the draw, where you know Thursday morning it's horrible, and then Friday afternoon it's also horrible. So that that yeah. side of the draw gets you know the short end of the stick. What you're hoping for is you know uh, that it's horrible both mornings or horrible both afternoons. So that or just horrible
0: a it. all day. Or horrible
1: all day, <laughs> yeah, which we could get tomorrow. So, you know, the forecast for tomorrow does not look good. In fact, right now they've halted practice round and taken the players off the golf course because of, of some heavy-duty uh, electricity in the area. So mm. who knows? You know, maybe it will be nasty for the whole opening round. But you know the saying in Scotland and Ireland and England, if, you know, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be interesting.
0: One of the things that I love about this tournament, and, and because of the um, uh, the nature of the style of play, is that a teenager like Justin Rose can compete and be in the uh, in the final pairing, or you know, in it until the last hole, or a 59 year old like Tom Watson can can uh, make a run at it as well. Phil Mickelson is now closer to Tom Watson's vintage than he is uh, Justin Rose at that stage of their career. Um, He's trying some interesting things this week. Why is he not taking a driver, and why does he essentially have two two irons?
1: Yeah, it's bizarre, but that is Phil, right? Um, And he's been known to tinker in the past. Uh, Phil's a high ball hitter in general, Hoagie, and the high driver this week I don't know if you're going to need that or yeah. ever want to go want to go to it. Um, with this strong three wood, he can you know hit it off the deck or tee it up very low and hit that kind of stinger shot. Uh, it's the same type of three wood he used in 2013 when he won the Open Championship, and he kind of leaned on it all week. So he's looking for uh, lower trajectory golf clubs that that he can you know get a lot of. Uh, you know, sneaky yardage on the ground was, so to speak. Uh and, and I think that's the play here for, for Phil. It's the recipe that worked for him back in 13. So who knows? And, you know, I, I like what you said there ter- in terms of you can get, you know, a kid like Justin Rose who kind of vaulted on the global yeah. scene as an amateur 20 years ago, but you also get the Tom Watson stories or, you know, uh, we almost had a Greg Norman uh, story the year right yeah. after Tom yeah. Watson almost did it. And I think... That's because this has nothing to do with, like, it's very far removed from the typical modern game of hit it as high and as far as you possibly can. And if you can't carry it 310 or 300 yards in the air, then you're, you know, giving up a couple of shots every day of the rest of the field. And, you know, and there's one way to play the golf course. This is far removed from that. This is, uh, it's not a long golf course you got to have a bunch of different shots. Experience comes into play, and I think that's why it gets so wide open. And this is maybe the most wide open we've seen in quite some time with the best players in the world all playing like crap right now.
0: This question might be akin to why do we park uh, park in the driveway and drive on the parkway, <laughs> right? It's, it's one of those things that I can't answer. If a three-iron has a two-iron loft, isn't it just a two-iron Yeah, pretty much. Um, Because okay, so
1: what he's done is he's taken a three iron and cranked it to two iron, and then kept his three iron in the bag as well. So he has two three irons, one that is two iron loft that I believe has a bit of a meteor head to it, and then and then his his standard three iron. So the only difference in these two is that the. The two-iron version, let's call it that, is a little meatier. So, you know, it's more of a driving type of iron, but there's not much difference here. The only difference is is that it's the same length as his three-iron. So the only thing that I could figure here, or I'm thinking about Hoagie, is that he did not want, to, he wanted the two iron loft and trajectory, but he didn't want to go another half an inch or three quarters okay. of an inch longer in okay. the shaft, which he would do to get to a two iron. That's the only thing I can, I could really think about here or think of here that this would be different. Um, so we'll see. I, it seems a little redundant to me. I, I would have gone straight to the straight to the four iron and taken the, the standard. If t- he liked that driving iron type of feel and that's what he wanted, I, I think it's kind of unnecessary to keep the three iron in the bag. But it's Phil. You know, and
0: it's, it's well, part, of, part of the beauty. Mark Sicchino joining us from Golf Talk Canada, and that gets into the mental aspect of this. And if if he feels more comfortable with a specific club and has an option, why not? And that this leads into Rory McIlroy right now, because it's been a while since he's won a major, and by his standards, certainly it's been a while. Are more of his problems um, mechanical or mental at this stage?
1: I personally believe that a lot of it's between the ears because, mm-hmm. you know, Tita Green, most weeks on the PGA Tour, Tita Green, he either outshines everybody or is at least in the very top, you know, quarter of the field in Tita Green. Uh, inside a 100 yards, things start to get loose and they start to break down. And, and then the putter, and I think the putter is now, you know, really in the brain. And, I've played this game long enough and been around this game long enough, hoagie, to the point where there's only so long you can get away with putting poorly and it starts to bleed into the rest of your bag Hmm. because you start to think, what's the point in hitting any good shots if I can't capitalize? And the other thing it does is it puts so much pressure on the rest of your game you you start thinking, well, I've got to hit it inside five yeah. feet every yeah. time or I've got no chance. And that's a hard way to play golf. So Rory's an emotional guy. He's a streaky guy. If he starts to make putts and for somehow or another finds the putter, look out because it, it all, all of a sudden trigger the rest of it. I just don't know when that's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Uh, I'm sure it eventually will. He's just too good to stay in a rut forever. He rides waves, good ones and bad ones. Yeah. Um, maybe find you know what? There's a good argument you could make, Hoagie, that he could find the putter at the Open Championship better than anywhere else. It is the slowest set of greens you're going to find in major championship golf, mm-hmm. and it's a different type of putting style. You know, you take the wind into account. They're not as fast. Uh, different grasses you're putting on than anywhere else. You know, in the world. So who knows, maybe all the differences in the putting game will will free up his brain a bit.
0: Uh, Final question, I, I don't know if you saw Weeks uh, on TSN last night, and the way he came up with his prediction where he just sort of talked about, um, you know, it, it's almost impossible for a guy who's never won a, a major to win the British Open, so anybody who's not, I'm eliminating from my picks. Uh, you know, it, it's been sort of that 34-year-old that's won, so anybody, or I guess 31, so if you're older than 34 or younger than 27, you're out. And he, and he, he narrowed it down to Justin Rose. But he, he, it was an interesting way where he, he just sort of took what it took to win a, a, a British Open. You obviously do predictions for every major. What's what's your criteria at the British Open when you're trying to figure out uh, your bold prediction for a winner? What, what do you look for first?
1: I look for, uh, I always pick guys on, on a trajectory. I like guys that have been playing well or traject- on a trajectory to crescendo towards something. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily guys that have won recently, although it could be but guys that I feel that are ramping up in the right direction for something. And then I look for horses for courses, Hoagie, which yeah. is why the Masters is always, in my opinion, the easiest tournament of the year to handicap because we have so much history and data to crunch on guys and their record there. Um, so I'm looking now just general, generally speaking, guys who like Lynx Golf, comfortable with it, embrace it, have had success. With that in the past, I know where Bob was going with that, and I like where he's going with it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it makes sense. I, however, am going to go completely the opposite way <laughs> because I think you need the. Ba- now, I love Justin Rose as a pick. I don't disagree with sure. that pick at all. I really don't. He, he is on my short list of five guys that have a chance to win this thing in my mind. In fact, it's probably much greater than five, but I've got five on my list that I really like. But. I think the best players in the world are playing so poorly right now. And I also think this trend of seven major championships in a row with first-time major winners, I think it's going to continue. I think it's going to be the revolving door of winners in the year of 2017 are going to continue. And I think we're going to see another first-time winner. I think a John Rahm, a Tommy Fleetwood. Wow. I think somebody like that. Look out for Rom. look out for Fleetwood. And if it's not a first-timer then I like Rose and Garcia, because Rose is trending this way. He's been amping up for this tournament all year. It's been on his radar.
0: And you always like Sergio Garcia.
1: Well, the other thing, too, is he's playing with house money now. Oh, sure. He's got no pressure yeah. at all. And I would never play against the guy, or I'll never bet against a guy that can just freewheel it and has nothing to lose. They're this'll, always scary in every
0: sport. This will get him away from thinking about the wedding. This will be fantastic. This is <laughs> hey, right. You you want to talk about pressure? There's there. real pressure, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> this is just a golf
0: tournament. There's golf pressure and there's real life pressure, and man, <laughs> that's real life pressure. So if everything is going well in the planning, this is just an escape. This is to get him away from that and, and just just go out and do your stuff. So
1: he's probably hoping this this was nine rounds this tournament. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He said that at several majors in the past, but that's another story for another day. Mark, thank you so much for doing this, pal. Enjoy the tournament.
1: Yeah, you too, Ogie. Thanks.
0: Mark Zucchino from uh, the PGA Network Golf. He's one of the play-by-play voices. And, of course, you hear him. We're lucky enough to have him on Golf Talk Canada Saturday mornings here on TSN 1050. Uh, When we come back, there's a local hockey team for sale. You may be interested. We'll find out more about it when we continue with Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. 1149 creeping up on 12 o'clock. It's hour one of the two-hour extravaganza that is Toronto today. Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler today. They'll rescue you from your car lease. Lease Leasebusters? Heroic? Maybe. Helpful. Totally. People would love to take over your car lease. For your lease relief, go to leasebusters.com leasebusters.com Coming up in the next hour, uh, we'll talk some baseball. Israel Fair from the Athletic T.O. is in Boston for the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. And uh, the Argos are honoring the 96-97 uh, Grey Cup back-to-back uh, winning teams. Doug Flutie's coming up. They're, re, uh, they're going to uh, uh, put him up with the all-time Argos. And uh, it's, it, it should be a very fun night on Monday night against the Red Blacks. And Paul Massadi, a big part of that team, will join us at 12.30. Uh, first up, uh, if you're maybe a local uh, investor looking for a hockey team that you may be interested in, there may be a story and maybe a connection to be made. And joining us, the president and the general manager of the Brampton Beast. Nice to have Kerry Kaplan back on the program. How you doing, hey, Kerry? Mike, how are you? It's been good. a while. Hope it has been a while. A while. All is good. Good. Good, good, good. Oh, good. Uh, so yeah. I guess there, I guess there's a partial for sale sign on your club. There
3: is. I mean, we we think it's a really unique. Uh, you know, there's 12 pro hockey teams in Canada. 11 are owned by the NHL NHL teams, and then there's the Brampton Beast. So we're you know we're sort of a unique. You know, it's a new four year old team in the ECHL and gradually growing and affiliated with Montreal. And we've been 100 percent of the team in essence been owned by Greg Rosen, who's Kingston based.
0: Good Kingston boy. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: Kingston boy. Right. So. Um, a local group led by there's a businesswoman named Tina Larson and some other people have said, you know what, one thing that's missing here is let's get some Brampton, Mississauga, Toronto, let's get some local people that have yeah. an opportunity to not just support the team or buy tickets or, but actually be part owners. And then it, the, the idea sort of moved forward and we said, yeah, that, it's something that. And you know, never really exists. It probably hasn't existed since the Harold Ballard days of uh, shares of uh, the Leafs. And so oh. we, you know, so um, so it's been exciting. We've had a lot of interest, and uh, we're putting this uh, consortium together to uh, consortium together to to, to own forty nine percent of the team.
0: How much total investment are you looking for?
3: Uh, I think the total for these franchises is, is, and we did a whole. There's a whole bunch of valuations. So anybody who is interested would see all the the numbers and the books and everything. It's typical teams are typically between about five and ten million dollars is what, or maybe a little more. What teams sell for in total? Wow. Um, so you know you square that down, and it's you know it's still a lot of money for uh, for a lot of people, but it's you know it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that. You could own 5% or 10% of a team and, 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 you know, we think the value is going to go up. The Beast had their best year the team's ever had last year and, uh, and you get to own part of a team. Get to, you know, have, have some regular, you know, periodic meetings and, uh, sit in with the coach and general manager on occasion, talk about the business
0: and, um, so, yeah, there's a lot to it there. And let's face it, most sports owners are rich guys who like toys, right? Yes. And, 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 you know, not trying to, you know, say that the, the organization is a toy, but you know what I'm saying. They, they like to, to be able to invest their money in fun things. And, yep. and owning a hockey team would be that. And one, one of the things that I've liked about your organization is you've, You've you've gone about it the right way in Brampton. You've worked with the grassroots approach. Um, you've done a lot of legwork. What's the payoff been for you?
3: Payoff's been great. I mean, we had thirty-one hundred people average per game, and for somebody, who might say, well, it's not a lot in I mean, a five thousand seat building," but it's yeah. the most Bramptons ever had, you know, in nineteen years, and. Um, it's a community based team the people that come uh you know do so because they you know maybe can't afford to go to leafs games they, or they it's it's all for us it's about entertainment we're um we're not the OHL which tends to be a more conservative uh die hard hockey fan league we're not M L S E um and we're we can do all kinds of fun, you know we can have Star Wars days and you know players wear Marvel comic book uniforms and jersey tosses and hot sure. dog guns and laser shows and so uh it's paid off and then you know and on the ice, being the only Canadian team in the league, uh half the players are Canadian, so our mm-hmm. recruiting has been great we've got a, you know so we we went to the second round of the playoffs last year Montreal Canadians have been tremendous partners for us and um i think we sort of feel like we're, we're we're looking for this group at our at least through four years at our high point so far which is uh both on the on the ice and off the ice we've been uh um, we've been as successful as we've been.
0: And we're a bit short on time but uh, I did want to point out that you know for people who are looking to invest obviously the city is behind you because they gave you that vote of confidence yep. to the tune of 1.5 million over three years so you know you've got the city in your back corner.
3: We do and that was great I mean that was the city saying look we believe in this team it's something different and, you know the one thing I would add to what's unique is we you know this club owns the territory of the territory of 50 miles in every direction for double-a hockey so if Anybody, the Leafs, the Senators, the Sabers—if anybody was ultimately looking to have their one more level the, uh, in anywhere in the GTA, they you know, have to have discussions with the Brampton Beast. And and again, if you're part of that, uh, uh, you know you'd be uh, there's just some as a hockey fan, it's just there's some cool stuff attached to this, and that's kind of what we're trying to create here.
0: A pleasure, sir. Great catching up with you. Best of luck with this. I I, I like the fact that you've gone public with the initiative. I hope it works out. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kerry. Kerry Kaplan joining us, uh, the president and GM of the Brampton Beast. Part of the team, almost half the team is for sale. So if, if you are interested, if you're an investor and looking for uh, somewhere to uh, to invest your dough, that's a place that you may want to look into. Just give uh, just give the uh, business office a call in Brampton, and I'm sure they will hook you up with the right people. When we come back, we will talk to Israel Fair in Boston, Blue Jays and Red Sox. will uh, preview tonight's game next and look back at the uh, marathon. Also in the next hour, Paul Massadi, Argo legend, uh, fantastic receiver, uh, will be part of the... Ceremonies next Monday night as they honor the 96 and 97 Grey Cup winners. Doug Flutie's in town for that. Uh, We'll get to Paul in the next hour as well on Toronto Today on TSN 1050.